we are uh, back to the book of Acts. Uh, some, Hunter did, a, did an awesome job while we were gone and, and preaching in Matthew chapter 7. And, and we had uh, our Sunday afternoon um, uh, while we were down in Ecuador. At 3 o'clock we'd go down <coughs> and we'd have church with the kids down at the orphanage, and then in the, in the evening we would bring up our church service up on a tablet, and we would watch as you worshiped God here, and as Hunter preached, and so I thank God that we have a young pastor that can step in and preach uh, when I'm gone. And so uh, we followed that with you, but we're back to the book of Acts. And if you'll remember where we were, in Acts chapter, the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit had come. Remember, Jesus had told them what? He said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they waited, and, and approximately 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, one of the high feasts of the Jewish people, Pentecost, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came, and he baptized the 120 in the upper room. And uh, that was the beginning of the church. The, as the Holy Spirit baptized us, 120, it was evidenced by a couple things. The first thing was the sound of a mighty wind. It wasn't the wind itself. It was the sound of the wind. And we got a chance to uh, experience some of that when we were in, in Ecuador. Uh, we would have, we, we would see these storms and you could literally see them coming. And when they would get there, it, they, in Shell, it rains 24 feet a year. That's a lot of rain. And when you're standing under a tin roof and you have a downpour like that, you can't hear anything. Now that rain doesn't make a sound until it impacts something. But it, it was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And why did God send the sound? He wanted people to be aware. The Holy Spirit is coming. Where is it at? Come and see. Isn't that the, the invitation Jesus gave so many times? Come and see. And so as the sound of the Holy Spirit came down, people came from all over because they were at the temple to celebrate Pentecost. One of the high feasts. And so they came and they came running around and lo and behold there was one other evidence. There was a tongue of fire that, that was over each one of the 120. And the 120 went out among all of these people that had come from all over the world. And there were literally thousands of them that had come rushing around and they began to do what? They began to speak in languages that they did not know, and they were proclaiming the wonderful works of the Lord. Now, what are those wonderful works for them? It was the Old Testament. Maybe they were quoting out of, out of the book of Psalms, or maybe they were quoting one of the Old Testament prophets. But whatever they were doing, they were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. And as they proclaimed that to the people, People were like looking around and going, what in the world? I, I hear them in my own language. 
Because previously the only language they heard the Old Testament in was either Hebrew or Aramaic. It was never taught to them in their own language. And they were like going, for the first time in my life I'm hearing the words of God in my own language. Wow! How amazing! And their response was twofold. Some of them said, and they, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others were saying and mocking, they are full of sweet wine. They're drunk. And that's where we looked at the last time that we were together uh, in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit had come and it had been poured out in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that baptism because once the baptism arrived, it was the birth of the church and every person who comes to Jesus Christ is baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment that they get saved. And they are placed in the church, in the body of Christ, they are indwelt, and we talked about a lot of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. It teaches us, it, it, it encourages us, it rebukes us. It, it identifies us with other believers. All, it does all kinds of things, but it also seals our place in heaven. The moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit goes up to heaven. I'd like to reserve one room for Ben... And I want you to put his name on it and make sure that that's etched in stone because nobody can change it. It's there. And one of these days, I'm going to get to claim that because he put the down payment on my new home the moment I got saved. And the Holy Spirit did that for me. And so as this happened, people were like going, Wow, what has happened here? We've never heard this. We've never seen this. And then we come to Acts chapter 2 and beginning in verse 14. So let's read these first seven verses and let's see what Peter, how Peter responds as God calls him to be the first preacher in the new church. But Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slave, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the skies above and signs in the earth below, 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is going to usher in this new era. And uh, I want you to notice a couple things from this, pastor, from this passage. First of all, all of the apostles were in agreement. He was standing with the other 11. Oops, that's Matthias too. Matthias was in agreement. Remember how they, they, they came to the Lord and said, we need to fulfill this, fill this spot that's left vacant? So they did. And they're standing there in agreement. But Peter is the preacher. Now this is not the first time that Peter's found himself being the spokesperson. Peter one day was in a boat with the eleven. And it was on a stormy sea. And Jesus came walking across the sea. And everybody went, oh, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, no, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus said one word. He said, come. Now that invitation was for all the twelve. But only Peter stepped out of the boat. I believe that's one of the prerequisites that allowed Peter to be the preacher that day. God had given him the power to walk on water. And if you can walk on water... You can preach in front of people. Now, I can't walk on water. But God's called me to preach. And that's exactly what he says he needs to do. It says that but Peter, taking his stand with the twelve, raised his voice. And it's kind of funny because every once in a while, one of the little kids will say, that pastor sure gets awful loud. God raised his voice. He, or Peter raised his voice. Why did Peter raise his voice? Well, he wanted everybody to hear. You see, we have this kind of thing that, oh, well, we don't want to be, we don't want people to know we're Christians. Three o'clock in the, in the morning in the, in the Quito airport, it, you know, it's okay to sing Christian songs. It might embarrass some folks, but that's all right. I had a professor that would have us, instead of praying in a restaurant, he would have us sing the doxology. Whoa. He got loud and he got proud. You know, what's next Sunday? Super Bowl. Now, if you had about $28,000, you could probably buy a seat to the Super Bowl today. I saw somebody had tickets up for sale the other day. You can go to the Super Bowl. And and what are you going to do when you get to the Super Bowl? Go team! I don't, who's playing this year? Kansas City. I, I, Kansas City? And the Eagles. Well, they're both all... Yeah, they're both... Those are fighting words, huh, Janice? Kansas City's close to home, right? But, but somebody's... You're gonna, their people are going to pay thousands and thousands. Of, they're going to put on their jerseys. They're going to paint their faces. They're going to run around. And, and by the end of the show, they're going to be... They're going to be, I can't. 
But yet, as Christians, oh, we don't want to be loud. We don't want people to think badly of us because, because we're proud of being a Christian. You know what? We need to get our voice. We need to, when somebody says, well, why don't you do that? Because I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. It's okay to say that. When somebody comes in the room and they're saying, this, you know, swearing profanity, I've often said, excuse me, you know, I just want you to know, you're swearing about somebody that I love personally. And you'd be amazed at how many people go, I never really thought about that. Or I'm sorry. Absolutely. It's okay to be proud and loud. And Peter was. He wanted people to hear. He wanted people to understand. And God uses preaching, beginning with this first message until today, God has used the preaching of the Word of God to bring people to Jesus. And He also does it through personal evangelism, but but. When it's a crowd like this, he says, it's okay. Get after it. Romans tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Come on. (coughs) There we go. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. We need preachers. We need people who will stand up and 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 go to the Word of God and allow God to work through them to preach the, what it is, who Jesus is, and how they can know for sure they're saved. And that's what Peter did. He got up and says, hey guys, it's only 9 a.m. You see, the, the Jewish people didn't believe in drinking before breakfast. Now, that may be kind of hard to, to, you know, drinking alcohol. So they're not drunk. These are not heathen people, as some would think. They're people who have the word of God. And then he goes on, and he starts with the book of Joel. Joel chapter 17, to be exact. And he quotes Joel 17. And he, he begins to read this, this chapter, this, or, or not read it, quote it, because he's memorized it. He's memorized what Joel had said. And these people would have understood exactly what he's talking about. And he reads Joel chapter 17, and as he, t- he says, what's the first thing he tells them? He says, and it shall be in the last days. Does that get your attention? I mean, you can go anywhere you want today on, and you can find all kinds of, of people who, 
preached prophecy. Are we in the last days? Absolutely. And he was preaching an urgency. He said, the, these are the days that Joel talked about that was written 400 years before, or actually 600 years before, when Joel wrote about the last days. He said, the last days are here. Listen. Because God is working. And he says, if you don't believe it, look around you. What do you see? You see 120 people with the evidence of the Holy Spirit on them, speaking in languages. They said before, we talked about this before, he said, these are Galileans. How do they know our languages? And they were all preaching. He said, you're seeing the evidence of what God is doing. And we're in the same place today. Just we're a whole lot closer. I mean, one of the nice things about being away is uh, I didn't watch TV for two weeks. That was so awesome. For two weeks, I didn't watch the news. And, the, and, and you know, I come home and what do I, what, what do I turn on? There's a Chinese balloon floating across the United States. I'm going to shoot it down. Who cares? I mean, it, it's like, but we're in the last days. All you've got to do is look around you. And you can see that God is, that, that the people of this world have done exactly what Pastor Hunter preached about last week. They're on the broad way going as fast as they can right into hell. Narrow is that way. And he says, it's the last days. Pay attention. One of the one of the things that he talks about here, because we have both, we have both the near fulfillment, you're, they were seeing it in real time, but we have the far fulfillment. And he talks about what's going to happen during those days, during the tribulation, when he talks about the blood and the fire and the smoke and the sun turned to darkness. But he says something very interesting in quoting that, and he says... Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And this is something that I've had the opportunity when I've been traveling in Africa to see how God has worked in countries that are 80 to 90% Muslim where you cannot get this, you cannot preach out of the Bible. And God is bringing visions to young men and young women and old men and they're coming to Christ in large numbers. In 1977 when I was going to Liberty University Liberty Baptist College at that time Jerry Falwell one Sunday morning introduced a, a gentleman to the platform by the name of Eldridge Cleaver how many of you know who Eldridge Cleaver is? A few hands. Eldridge Cleaver was one of the leaders of the Black Panthers. And he had gone to prison. He was a convicted rapist, and he had gone to prison, but he was a devout communist. And he was preaching the overthrow of the United States. And he went to prison. 
And I watched this as Dr. Falwell brought him to the pulpit and allowed him to share his testimony. Now, in the mid-70s, you did not bring a Black Panther to the pulpit to preach. And Eldridge Cleaver got up and he says, I was laying in my prison bunk one night and, and, in my, and I had started to have a dream and I saw Chairman Mao come and he stood in my dream. And then I saw Stalin come and he stood in my dream. And then I saw Lenin come and he stood, on my, and he stood before me. And he saw all these great leaders of the communists around the world standing there. And then he said, and then I saw Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and all the rest of these vanished. And it was Jesus alone that stood before me. And he said, I knew that I had to find out if Jesus could vanquish all of these men I revered. I had to find out about him and he found a Bible and he began to read and he found some Christians and they led him to Christ until the day that Eldridge Cleaver died he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in crusades all across America. He saw a dream and God gave him that dream and saved him in prison. That's happening literally today as we watch God move He says, the time is short. He's telling the people, listen up. And every one of our time is short. We don't know how long we have. My mom is celebrating her 90th birthday this week. We went to Cracker Barrel yesterday. Amen. 90 years. Five years ago, I wouldn't have bet that she would be here today because she was laying, literally, they'd called us in to say goodbye. And God says, I'm not done. You've got more time. But God doesn't always do that. One of the things that I'm aware of when I leave as a pastor, one of the last instructions that I gave the elders is that You need to step up. If somebody dies while I'm gone, you're the ones who need to go minister to the family. Because I am always aware that in the two weeks that I'm gone, somebody could go home. God could call somebody home. We never know how long we have. And he says, I want you to understand. Well, he reads them out of Joel. And then he begins to preach. Let's look at verses 22 through 36. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and sign which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, 
putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. For David said of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he was at my right hand, and so that I would not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul in Hades, nor allow my Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, for you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Jesus that he would neither be abandoned in Hades nor his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you both see and here, for it was not David who ascended to heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Wow. Jesus only. It's all about Jesus. And he's the only way. You don't see him mentioning, oh, I want you to go back and read a good book. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. There are people today that will tell you that there are many ways to get to heaven. There's not. He only preached Jesus. How many, how many times did he look at them and say, it's Jesus. It's him. He's the one you crucified. He's the one that rose from the dead. It's only Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, when, Tim, when Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. Jesus looked at him and Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was adamant. Hunter preached an amazing message last week about the narrow way. Matthew 7 says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. But there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus said, I 
and the way. And when Peter was preaching, he pointed only to Jesus. He said, Jesus died on the cross. He was crucified. You you gave him into, into the hands of the Romans because you couldn't do it yourself. But he said it was all planned by God. What did Jesus say in the, in the garden? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. God said the only way for a man to be redeemed is through the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. And as Peter stood there preaching, he said, Jesus is the way. He's the only way. It is him who has not only died, but he rose again. He preached the resurrection. The grave couldn't hold him. The agony, I almost said the agony of defeat this morning. ABC Sports. The agony of death is taken away. I don't fear death. When death comes to knock at my door, I'm going to say, come on in, let's go. Because my next step is heaven. With my Savior. I want to go. But I've got work to do in the meantime. But I want you to know what else he said. He said, Jesus was in your midst. Remember, this is only 50 days after Jesus' death. Only 10 days after he ascended into heaven. I mean, Jesus had preached in the temple. He had raised the dead. He had, I mean, Lazarus is still walking around telling people, man, I tell you what, you don't ever want to go through what I went through. Because I had to come back. Kicking and screaming. I was already in paradise. When God said, come on back, I'm going to prove the power of my son. He said, in your midst you saw what Jesus did. How many people on that ascension day saw Jesus going up and went, wow, what in the world was that? As the Shekinah glory received him into heaven. He said he was in your midst. And did you know that Jesus is in your midst today? Christ in me, the hope of glory. When people look at you, do they see Jesus Christ? Hopefully, by the way we live, by what we do. And not only was Jesus in their midst, the Holy Spirit was in their midst. Because you know what one of the things the Holy Spirit does? John 16 tells us, it says that he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit began to work in this crowd as the Holy Spirit was working through the 120. He was working through the preaching of Peter and he was working on these people. It says later on that their hearts were pierced as the Holy Spirit began to work. 
But I want you to notice something else. He made it personal. Peter said, your sin is personal. You see, it's pretty easy, pretty easy to say, oh, Jesus died for the sins of the world. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, he died for the, he absolutely did. But what did he say? What did Peter say? He said that you, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Several times he says, you were the ones that sent him to the cross. We have to understand that sin is personal. The sin that Jesus bore on the cross was my sin and your sin. We can put it off. He says, oh yeah, you turned him over to to terrible men to, to be put on the cross, the Roman soldiers who were trained to crucify Jesus. But you might as well have held the hammer and drove the nails with your sin. And you could name your sin, and that was the nails that hung Jesus on the cross. He said, you are guilty. As much as a judge could stand before you in a court of law and say, I've seen all the evidence, and it's all very clear, you're guilty. And that's what Peter tells them. It's your sin that hung Jesus on the cross. Well, Peter goes on, (coughs) and he lists four different Old Testament passages that talk about the resurrection, the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Psalms, he starts out with Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and then he talks about Daniel or David's promise that there will always be one on the throne. And that's why when Luke records Jesus' line, he records the Davidic line, right? And in 2 Samuel 7, 12, he, he responds with it. And then in Psalms 110.1, he once again proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Savior. He's answered all of your questions. All of those things that you've been seeking for the Messiah. And he said people need to what? Look at verse verse 23. He has poured out forth that which you both see and hear. People need to both see and hear the gospel. Now, there's a lot of people who say, oh, I believe in lifestyle evangelism. I just want, I want to live so that people can see Jesus in me. And that's awesome. We ought to be living so that people see Jesus in us. But that's not enough. You see, They may see it, but they also have to hear it. They have to hear the gospel. And that's kind of someplace where we go, oh, well, wait a second. If I tell them about Jesus, they may reject me. They're not rejecting you. 
They're rejecting Jesus. We need to be telling people about Jesus. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, his last letter to Timothy. And he, he's giving him a charge. Now, I want you to look at the first half of this. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. I want to stop there for a second, just a second. That charge is not just to Timothy. And I want you to look at how, how solemn this charge is. It says, by the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who judges the living and the dead. Well, I think we're among there someplace, aren't we? He's going to judge us. By, for what, and by his appearing and his kingdom. What's our job? Our job is to be building the kingdom of God. He's going to come back one day and he's going to say, what have you been up to? There's a whole parable about there, isn't there? I gave you your talents. What did you do with them? Then I want you to look at what the charge is that Paul gave to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now you can say, I want to live before Jesus. I want to live Jesus before people so they see all this. I don't know. How does your life reprove, rebuke, exhort, and instruct? It can't. Only the word of God can do that. Because the word of God is what? Reproves and rebukes and exhorts and instructs. You see, if we do that out of our own, people are going to say what? You're judging me. And we probably are. But when, when God says it, you can say, don't look at me. Talk to him. Talk to him. He's the one that's judging you. I'm here to tell you that there's something that you can do about it. Both need to see in here. And then I want you to, one other thing I want you to see out of this portion is that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. You see, there's lots of people who want, to, want Christ. Because what is that? Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And Messiah is what? Savior. See, a lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior. And that's great. Because we need to be saved. I mean, if you're floating down through the rapids, my mom can testify to this. You want a rope. You want somebody to pull you back in the boat. If you ever go to her house, look at her, look at her wall and you'll see a set of, I lost my mother in Oak Springs, a class four rapid. I did. Talk about being panicked. You want back in the boat. 
And there's a lot of people that want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. They want to say, okay, I want my life insurance policy, but I don't want to quit doing what I'm doing. And Peter looked at them and he said, if you want a Savior, you also have to take a Lord. You have to change. You have to allow God to work in your life. It's not enough just to have a Messiah. You also have to have the Lord. Well, let's finish off our passage. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about three thousand souls. Wow. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Watching as the Holy Spirit began to work, began to pierce their hearts, began to work in their lives. Well, I got news for you. When somebody preached to you Jesus, and you come to know who Jesus is, it's going to require a decision. It requires a decision. Now, there are lots of people who are going to say, I don't want that Jesus. I don't want to change. I like my life just the way. Or they're going to say, I'm going to wait. I, I want to sow my wild oats. I don't want to give up what I have. Well, that's a decision. Because they don't know how long they have. But then there are going to be some that are going to say yes. Some that are going to say, okay. They did that day, 3,000 of them. We don't know how many thousands that Peter preached to there were a lot of people, remember the ones that mocked? They probably went in. Just another loudmouth preacher. I'm going to walk away. But 3,000 of them made a decision that day. You see, God puts himself in a position to ask us the question, and we have to answer that question. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, For he, Jesus says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, God will call you and call you. And then it says, God does not always strive with men. There's going to come a time when God's going to say, I've tried. i tried every way I know how. The day that I got saved out on West Albany ball field, Bill Glass had preached that night, and he said, you know what? Your mama's faith can't save you. My mama has a lot of faith. Your daddy's faith can't save you. Your family's faith can't save you. Your church's faith can't save you. Only Jesus can, and it's only when you personally come. And I was standing there, and I was so convicted. They played the first verse of Just As I Am, and I'm standing there white-knuckling. And as sure as I'm standing here today, God spoke in my ear, and he said, Ben, if you don't go forward right now, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. And I had all my football buddies on either side of me and I let go of that pew and I began to walk down in front of me. I had invited every one of them to come hear Bill, Bill Glass speak. And that night God called me and they were looking at me like I was crazy because I was the one that invited them. And that day as I moved down and I came before my Savior and I said, I am so sorry. I repent of my sin. I want to be used for you. I don't want to be just uh, somebody who goes to church on Sunday who maybe reads or by. I want to be used by you. And God said, welcome home. It's about time. It's about time. Because I had heard that message from the time I was this tall. And God says, it's between you and me. It was personal. It has to be personal. Jeremiah has probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Jeremiah 8.20 says, The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. There's going to come a time when God's going to say, I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the church out. I'm going to bring you home. And he will still do an amazing work during the tribulation, but you're going to have to go through a lot. The Bible says in Revelation that there are myriads and myriads of those who have been beheaded for Christ that will stand before the throne. That will be the price one day for, for knowing God. Well, he gives us the... I, I call them the three R's. Now, we, this always confused me, and I know I got, a, uh, I got a teacher right here. The three R's are what, Janice? Now, now is, there's something wrong with that, isn't there? <laughs> I, I, uh, see, she can explain it. I just know, I know arithmetic and writing don't start with an R. Well, he talks about the three R's. First thing he says is repent. He says you have to repent. 
Now, repent is not confession. Don't get this confused. We can go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. But that's not repentance. How many of you, mom and dad, got, got a hold of you one day when you were being mean to your brother or sister? Not that I ever was. So now you go tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. Right? Repentance is, hey, I'm really sorry. And then saying, I'm not, I'll, I won't do that ever again. Turn around, go the other way. That's repentance. He says, you need to repent. And the second thing he says is you need to receive. You need to receive Jesus. It's going to be here in a minute. <laughs> you, you need to receive Well, there we go. We got all three. You need to receive what God has to give. God God is not going to pull you into heaven kicking and screaming. It's a gift. He says, come here. I I have my arms open wide. All you have to do is come. You come with all of your frailty, and all of your sin, and all everything that you've messed up in life, bring it all, and I'll receive you. You have to receive him, and when you receive him, you receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says that you need to respond. You need to respond to what I'm doing. Now, what does that mean? In Acts chapter 27, He says this, that they should repent and return to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Well, isn't that works salvation? Not at all. You see, the deeds come what? After the repentance. See, we can't do anything to work our way to heaven. But once we get saved, God says, you know, I'm going to change you And when I change you, you're going to want to do those deeds. You're going to want for people to see Jesus through you. You're going to want to tell others about Jesus. Those are the deeds. It's not salvation by works. It's works because of salvation. We respond to what God has done in our life. Probably the greatest verse, I think, that most people know. But it it capsulizes it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. What a wonderful verse. And, And... I want to personalize it. I want you to personalize it with me. You're going to put your name in here as we say it. For God so loved Ben that he gave his only begotten son that if Ben believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. 
That's your verse. That's my verse. God has given it to us just as he gave it to them on the day of Pentecost. God says, through Peter, you may have put me on that cross, but I did it for you. It was the predetermined will of God. It was his plan. He, he said, I'm planning this. And when Jesus gave us the Last Supper, he knew it. The disciples, the disciples didn't know it, but he knew it. And he took the bread. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. In a few short hours, you're going to see this in real time. You're going to see my body shredded by the Roman scourge. You're going to see my face beaten until nobody can recognize me. You're going to see the abuse that I take. My body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of my blood which is shed for the remission of sin. He says, you guys, you guys don't realize this right now sitting at this table, but in a few hours, you're going to look at the cross. And you're going to see the blood as it runs from my hands and my feet. You're going to see the blood as it runs down my body and drips off the cross. You're going to see the soldier as he puts the spear into my side and the water and the blood comes rushing out. And when you do that, I want you to remember it was your sin. It was my sin that put the nails there.